Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening. Well, today we finish our three-week sermon series that we have called Wilderness. And this has been a short series, but one that uh, we're thinking, it's a hot series. It's one of those series that uh, has been well-received in the sense that what we think we've done is kind of touched on a nerve. That everybody in one form or fashion throughout the last 12 to 14 months has found themselves in a sort of wilderness. And whether that's acute anxiety that's come up out of COVID or if that's a a life change or, or job change or relational shifts or all the different things that we've been dealing with, for one reason or another, this has been something that I think has really landed. It's landed with me, and I've heard from a lot of people that, that have kind of said, man, this is, I think, what we needed as a, as a people. And I'm excited about that, and I only tell you that because today we get to finish it. We kind of cross the finish line of this series, and that means we are emerging from wilderness. We've been following God's people through the book of Exodus, and, and we followed them from slavery into uh, the end of the life that they knew into a new life in wilderness. And then today, uh, they are emerging from the land between into uh, yet another new beginning. And so just as a a way to set the table here, in the room, you're going to use a one through five on your fingers online. You just put that in the chat right there. 2020 was promised to be like a change. Everybody got real excited towards the end of 2020. 2021 was supposed to be the change. So at the end of 2020, people were like, I can't wait for the new year. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be great. It's going to be new. Everything's going to be different. Okay. On a scale of one to five, with five being 2021 has been new and awesome and everything is different. I love it. I'm so great we turned the calendar. And one being, you might be convinced that it's still 2020 and today is December 62nd. Where are you at? Just just throw up your number, one through five. What do you have? I just want to see the room. We got some ones. Oh, I got a thumbs down. That's not even a number. That's just a thumbs down. Online, we got twos and threes. We got some people in various stages. Thumbs down is my new favorite. I'm going to take that one, too. That's, that's what I feel about 2021. It's not different. It's, it's December 62nd. Welcome to December 62nd. The reason I ask is because it's important for us to realize we may all still be in some wilderness. I'm going to put the model, the, the Bridges transition model, back on the screen. You can see it with me. This is what we've been kind of working with, and what we see is there's the end at the beginning. The beginning is actually the end, where you let go of something. You have to let go of what was. Then you walk through wilderness, that big, thick spot in the middle, which is the unknown, where I'm not to where I'm going yet, but I've left behind what I used to know. And that's where most of us found ourselves in a societal sense in the last year. Like, wait a minute, I have to wear a mask. Where? Oh, yeah. Okay, it's new. It's different. I'm not used to it yet. And then the new beginning is where we're going today, as we acknowledge that all new beginnings had to start with an ending. So today the new beginning is coming, and the question we're asking is this. What marks this season of new beginnings, and what does God intend for us to do with it? What marks the season of new beginning in your life, and what does God intend for you to do with it? So we're going to rejoin our story 
And the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and finally they're arriving in the promised land. And here's what I'm going to do. We're not going to put it on the screen, so you're not going to be able to read along with me. I want you to maybe kind of put yourself in their position. Just, just listen in with me and hear it as we talk through it. Joshua chapter 3, verse 9. It says, attention. Listen to what God, your God, has to say. This is how you'll know that God is alive among you. When the soles of the feet of the priests carrying the chest of God, the, the Ark of the Covenant, when the soles of the feet of the priests carrying the chest of God touch the Jordan River's water, the flow of water will be stopped and the water coming from upstream will pile up in a heap. It continues, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan River, the priests that were carrying this Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And now the Jordan is at flood stage during all the harvest. And as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet, their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap, a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down from there was cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the raging flood stage Jordan River and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed its crossing. Can I remind you how the story started? How the people of Israel left slavery? How they, how they got to the end to begin with? They were backed up to the Red Sea. God made a way, and the walls, the water of the Red Sea began to pile up in walls, and the people of Israel walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. So how does the new beginning come to be? If that's how they got to this new beginning, if that's how their end started, if that's how they found themselves in the wilderness, how does he get them out of the wilderness? God's people walk across the Jordan River as the water piles up, and they walk across on dry ground. And notice that the priests... I think this is an important little detail we missed. The priests, they stood in the middle of the river as the people passed, as thousands upon thousands of people streamed past, and the priests stood in the middle of the river. Why? Because they held the Ark of the Covenant. They held the presence of God from the camp. So as every Israelite walked past, they would have had to acknowledge that it was the presence of God that held the waters back and nothing less. Joshua leads his people into the promised land. And he does it on dry ground just in case the people had forgotten in their 40 years in the wilderness, just in case the generations didn't remember that it was from dry ground they came into the wilderness. It's on dry ground that they're going to leave. That God is a saving God, a miracle-making God, a nature-commanding God. That's quite a transition. As we've been talking about transition, there's, there's probably no bigger transition in life than a faith transition. This is a difficult thing for a, a lot of people to kind of figure out how do I go from not believing to believing? How do I go from maybe curious about faith to d diving all the way in? What makes it such a big transition is it's an identity transition. It goes from, I'm identified as me, as myself. I am who I am. I believe what I believe. And then as a follower of Jesus, scripture says we're identified with Christ. We, we've actually swapped out, exchanged our identity for a new identity so that God sees us through the person of Jesus. It's a big transition. And most, most faith stories have sort of a wilderness in them, that even after someone comes to faith, even after somebody says, I want to follow Jesus, there's a period of wilderness in there somewhere. 
Sometimes we get a good start and we hit a rough patch or we lose direction or we find ourselves alone outside the camp for a minute. Religious people might call this backsliding or spiritual infancy. I would just call it wilderness. That sometimes we cross out of slavery and we find ourselves in wilderness and we don't really know what's next. This is true of me anyway. My moment of belief came in 1997 and it was seven more years until I began to actually live out my new identity in a real and consistent way. It was seven years of backsliding or infancy of wilderness. It was seven years. I made more mistakes and sat in more shame in those seven years and all the previous years. I was what I would like to call well-intended destruction. That my salvation experience was real and it was true. And when I said I believe, when I said I want to follow Jesus, it was real. And then I crossed over that Red Sea and I found myself in wilderness and I said, now what? Where do we go? My life was marked by well-intended destruction. That I met well, but I didn't know what I was doing and I left a wake of destruction behind me. You would have looked at a, a typical week of mine and you would have seen me failing on Friday night and Saturday night trying to make up for it by showing up to church on Sunday and really trying to do the right thing on Monday and by Tuesday getting a little weary and by Wednesday losing control again and by Thursday in the same sin cycle. And every week was kind of the same, what am I doing? What is this faith thing? I thought this was supposed to change something. I had a wilderness. What is wilderness for? Wilderness is intended to prepare us for the new beginning, to get us ready for our promised land, to teach us a lesson or maybe for some of us lots of lessons. Marital wilderness is where you grow together if you embrace it. Work wilderness is where you gain clarity about who you are and what you're called to do. Health wilderness is where you get right physically. Spiritual wilderness is where you find truth. We were talking this morning a little earlier about Coach Huger from the BGSU basketball team. Head coach of the team and he's got this great record and it's a great team and they're on a little bit of a losing streak. And the struggle with, with that is they're in a little bit of a wilderness. Coaching in sports, you see wilderness really clearly because they play these distinct seasons. But you can see a team go on a losing streak or a, a player gets into controversy or somebody leaves the team or, or there's some out, you know, other thing happening where, where it just sort of feels like it's wobbling a little bit. And last night, my wife and I were talking and she, she lives, her empathy is strong and so she lives and kind of breathes with this team. We love these guys. We love Coach. And when they lose, she takes it hard. About 9.30 last night, she goes, I think my heart actually physically still hurts that they lost. And the implication is, why doesn't this hurt you as much? And I said, well, coach is here. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't just take a loss and, and sulk about it. He's excited because that means he gets game tape. And when you look at the tape and you circle this and you put it over there, you missed this rotation. You could do this better. Every loss is actually a chance to get better. Every loss is a chance to point out what we didn't do right so we can grow in it. So for a, for a professional coach, a wilderness of a losing streak, a wilderness of a player that's out for a while, a wilderness of injury, those are just opportunities to grow in all the things we need to do better. I said, so I, I trust him to lead them through this wilderness. So maybe the first thing I want to challenge you to consider is you navigate Wilderness on the cusp of a new beginning, whatever that wilderness is for you, is don't waste the wilderness. 
that every losing streak, every life challenge, every trauma, every trial has something to teach us. Every season you are in has something to teach you. And the point of God taking you through the wilderness is not to punish you, it's to grow you and to stretch you and to make you better. So don't waste the wilderness he has you in. What are you supposed to learn? What does God need to teach you? I needed to learn in my faith journey that I couldn't earn faith. I didn't know that. I couldn't earn salvation or I couldn't be good enough to repay God for what he had done for me. I grew up in works-based Catholicism. We have some lovely Catholic brothers and sisters that are practicing great faith. I didn't grow up in that. I grew up in a works-based, ritualistic, check-the-box kind of culture. And when I came to faith in Jesus and I'm supposed to be following Jesus, I didn't know any other way except for the way I knew in slavery, which was just try harder. If you do enough good things, they'll balance out the bad things and maybe you'll get into heaven. That's all I knew. So no matter how hard I tried, I never seemed to be able to earn God's grace or justify the fact that he saved me. I lived in a, in a guilt cycle because I, in my faith upbringing, I put him on the cross. It was my bad behavior that put him there. And so I needed to do good things to get him off. And Jesus tells us in his scripture, you didn't put me there. I chose that. Yeah, it's your sins up there that I'm dying for, but I willingly went for you, not out of some guilt complex, but out of and when that became real for me, like the light switch went on, like, oh, it shouldn't be a guilt cycle of trying harder. It's a love cycle of embracing deeper. God needed me to learn that grace and salvation was his, that I was incapable, and it took me seven years of failing before I found some of that dry ground. It took me 10,000 miles away to a year in Johannesburg, South Africa, where I met someone who showed me what this grace looked like. My, my dysfunction was only starting to be undone, so that becomes the journey then as I'm finding that dry ground out of wilderness. I'm going, wait a minute, this is what I've been doing all these years? I didn't know. God saved me because he chose to, because he, because he loves me. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in that same faith wilderness. Maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in a marital wilderness or a health wilderness or COVID wilderness or work wilderness. I don't know. But once you find your lesson, once you find what God intends to teach you in that moment, the, the next thing to do is com commemorate it. Joshua chapter 4, Scripture says, When the whole nation was finally across, God spoke to Joshua. And he said, Select 12 men from the people, a man from each tribe, and, and tell them, From right here, the middle of the Jordan, where the feet of the priests are standing firm, the priests are still in the river. He said, take 12 stones and carry them across and set them down in a place where you camp tonight. God com commands his people to commemorate what has happened by each tribe taking a stone and setting up a memorial, a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. God says, in essence, don't waste the wilderness. I brought you out of it, but don't forget it. Don't waste it. What was God teaching you in 2020? When you look back, what did God need you to learn or maybe in that breakup or that job change or that health scare, find the lesson. And then God says, commemorate it. Mark the place where God has moved in your life. Mark the place where God shows up. And then choose to share those lessons with others, with future generations, with people who didn't live it with you. I said, I think one of the reasons God let me be a preacher is because I've made enough mistakes for all of us in the room. And I can speak from the history of those mistakes. And maybe I can help some other people from walking down some paths that I wish I'd never walked down myself. Like, maybe I can set up some stones that go, hey, 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 maybe you haven't run into this yet, but don't do what I did. 
Don't waste the wilderness. So that's how you leave wilderness. That's how you start walking on dry ground. But how do you enter this new beginning? How do you enter the new reality? Commemoration has to lead to recalibration. Once you've grabbed the lesson from wilderness, you have to set your eyes on the new reality and start applying those lessons. So the Israelites do this pretty immediately. I won't read the whole story, but they go to conquer Jericho, this great walled city. They don't have the men or the firepower to do it. So God has them instead, my translation, build a marching band. And with a couple trumpets and a few men, they take turns uh, marching as a marching band, playing a sweet tune as they circle the city of Jericho, and eventually the walls come falling down. Why did he choose to do it that way? Because God saves. Because God splits the sea. Because God dropped food on them from heaven. Because, because God conquers the enemies in front of us. As if to tell the people as they entered into this recalibration phase of the new beginning, as if to tell those people, don't forget the lesson. Don't waste what I taught you. I provide. I am the Savior. So they blow their trumpets and they, they conquer a city. And this is an important part of where we're going today. This is, it's going to be obvious. So I'm going to warn you. You get just like buckle up for the obvious train is pulling into the station, okay? But it's important. Are you ready? You ready? Buckled up? The new is not the old. The new is not the old. And you cannot approach the new like the old. Why do I say this? Because we struggle with this is why I say this. Air travel is the perfect place to see this. Some of you remember smoking flights. What? Some of you remember walking into an airplane and there's just a cloud of cigarette smoke in the plane. And that was totally cool. And then at some point, somebody said, maybe that's not totally cool anymore. We're not doing that anymore. You can go onto a plane today and light up. You are welcome to try that. Tell me how it goes. Maybe if we need to bail you out, we'll work on it. It's a felony. You can't do that. Why? Because you can't approach the new like the old. Something changed. Stay in an airplane. 9-11 happens. Some things changed and never have gone back. You can try to keep your shoes on as you go through security. You can try to take your 20-ounce Diet Coke through security. How's that going to go for you? You're going to get the extra search. You might even go in that little room that they have on the side. I don't want to know what they do in there, okay? Take that risk if you want to. If you try to bring more than 3.8 ounces of liquid, you're in trouble. Why? Because you cannot approach the new like the old. We flew in December. Things have changed again. COVID. New airplane rules. Now you can't fly without a mask. If you want to try flying without a mask, you will get ejected from the plane and banned from the airline. You can't sit in the terminal without a mask either, which we found out the hard way. I mean, we knew this, but we had a, a series of delays, and we ended up with like a nine-hour sitting down in the airport kind of day. And after nine hours of sitting in a mask in a stuffy airport, you kind of go, I think I need some fresh air, but I can't leave because they won't let me come back, so what do I do? Could have taken our mask off. That would have been a really quick way to get outside. You can't approach the new like the old, whether it's a new job, a new marriage, new diagnosis, living with Jesus in faith, whatever your new is, you cannot approach the new like the old. You have to have new practices because there are new opportunities. How many people have had health scares and then got serious about diet and exercise as a result and went on to live longer, more full lives? Once we learn the lesson, we move forward and we can always recall the joys of double cheeseburgers and deep fried Oreos or whatever your proclivity might have been. You can always recall those things. 
But you can't approach the new like the old if you want the new to be different than the slavery you left behind. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. I would say the surest way to miss the promised land God is offering is to keep looking at what you used to have. Remember the meat back in slavery, the Israelites said. Remember the the ease of life pre-pandemic. I don't know how many times, I, I could not count it on all my fingers and toes how many times I've walked away from my car in a parking lot and then about nine steps out go, oh, ask. And you have to turn back. Anybody else? Yeah, all the time. We've been doing this for almost a year now, and you still leave your car. You walk five steps out, and you go, oh, mask, got it. The surest way to miss the promised land is looking back at what used to be. I shouldn't need this anymore. Don't worry about it. Just put it on. Do what you got to do because there's an opportunity waiting. We have a ministry called the Open Table. We partner with, and it's essentially a board of directors around somebody who is in need some sort of poverty, relational poverty, economic poverty, whatever it is. And we provide 10 people around one person for a year to help them lift their life up. It's deep ministry. It's hard ministry. It's beautiful ministry. One of the people that we're looking at, one of our future tables we're going to have, a sister. She got met out in front of Kroger. Somebody was walking in and she was walking out and they had a chance encounter and they struck up a relationship and we're thinking this might be the next person we can come around and lift up. That doesn't happen if we refuse to put the mask on. It doesn't happen if we refuse to just embrace whatever reality we're in and do the thing we have to do. That opportunity goes away if I go, forget it, I'm never doing it. They can deliver it. I'm not going in. It's not about masks. So what's the new opportunity in front of you and what's the new reality asking you to be a part of? And if we keep looking back at what used to be, we miss the opportunity God has in front of us. We've learned this in church. Up until about nine months ago, we were doing church in 2020 like we did in 1985. They were exactly the same. Some songs, some preaching, go home. Internet, what's that? This didn't reflect reality in here. Now we got cameras on the wall. We got people watching. I got a message today in between services from somebody who said, I'm watching from Florida. Thank you so much. Florida is watching and Texas is watching and Michigan is watching. Ohio is watching. Your neighbors are watching through tiny cameras bolted to the walls. Why? Because we finally showed up and decided to get with the program. Because a a global pandemic forced us to embrace a new reality, not something we'd ever planned to do. We went, I guess we have to do this. And now what's happening? God is opening up opportunities for us to minister to people all over the country. But had we stubbornly said, no, I want to go back to the way it was, we never would reach these people. We'd never be able to share the gospel. We'd never be able to share God's love. And so it takes us being willing to walk forward. How do we create meaningful community in a world where rotary phones, 1985, has been replaced by FaceTime? That's a challenge. Nick's our community life pastor. He's taking it on with gusto. He every day shows up with a new idea and a new way we're going to keep fighting through this. We're going to make community happen. He's on the phone motivating people and challenging leaders and recruiting new folks. We've got three new classes of members that have joined the church since the pandemic started. We've not had a single member meeting in person. Why? Because Nick said, I'm not going to let this slow me down. It's an opportunity. I bet we can do this in a new way. And so because of his ingenuity and willingness to walk through the new opportunity that God has put in front of him, we're moving forward. And we're adding people to God's family. That's a joy. But it doesn't happen if we say, let's just wait until this whole thing blows over. 
The wilderness has something to teach us. What does God want you to learn? What I've said before and I'll say again is you were not, you were not created to carry the weight of all of this. You were not created to carry the weight and the anxiety that comes with the never-changing world and the modern digital world. You were not created to carry the weight of this. That's why we're bringing in Carissa tonight at 6.30. It's why you can tune in on your TV and watch and, and get practical strategies for dealing with anxiety, for managing anxiety, because we know that's an issue. And we said, how do we help people through this wilderness? You weren't designed to carry the weight of it, the weight of crisis and change and pandemic, the weight of sin, as we're talking about faith here. You were not created to carry the weight of sin. So I want you to hear me when I tell you that the burden isn't actually yours to carry anyway. God knew what you needed before you needed it. The story was written before you took your first breath, that God knew who you were and knew what you would need before you knew you needed it. God knew to create a safe place and a place of hope and a place of security and a place of peace. God knew that you would need it. God also knew that maybe he'd have to take you through the wilderness so you would find it. And when you find it, you'd know what you really had. When we look at the story that we've been walking with the Israelites, Joshua leads God's people into the promised land. Joshua's friends, in Hebrew, they would have called him Yeshua. That was his name, Yeshua, but we translate Joshua. So Joshua's friends would have said, Yeshua led us into the promised land. The Hebrew word Yeshua, this name means to rescue or deliver. So Yeshua leads God's people into the promised land. What happened is over the years, your Old Testament was written in Hebrew, your New Testament is written in Greek. And so in, in Greek, Yeshua, actually the words get transliterated and the vowels go haywire. And in the New Testament, Yeshua is actually translated as Jesus. Jesus. But Jesus, Jesus' parents called him Yeshua. Jesus' Hebrew parents called him Yeshua the same way that Joshua was called Yeshua. They're the same name. Jesus and Joshua the same. God used Joshua, Yeshua, to lead his people into the promised land. And then centuries later, God sent another Yeshua, the one we call Jesus, to lead all of God's people into the eternal promised land. You see the parallels that God is setting up in these stories, that the story of the Exodus is the story of the redemption we have in Christ. And one Yeshua and another Yeshua ushered in because God is a poet, because it's beautiful, because he uses the man of the same name to carry the people in. Yeshua redeemed the wilderness that the Old Testament Yeshua first led his people through. The promised land went from a place for a people to a person that would give people their place in the world. The promised land went from a place, a geographic location for a people to a person in Jesus Christ who would give people their place. Sons and daughters adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. Jesus is the true and better Joshua. They're the same name. God is beautiful, and he's asking us to come into the promised land, taking us from wilderness and showing us better. God knew you would find yourself in wilderness, and he sent Jesus to be the once and for all promised land, the bridge back to God the Father. Where we need a way, God makes a way. If you hear nothing else today, where we need a way, God makes a way. And in your personal circumstance, in your relationships, in your finances, in your job, where we need a way, God has a way. Do we take the steps and do we follow him on the way he's leading us? In our faith, life, in that hint of doubt, in that bit of skepticism, where we need a way, God makes a way in his name, was Yeshua, Jesus. 
And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you follow me, you will never die. Don't waste the wilderness. That God has brought you through a wilderness for a reason to teach you, to grow you, to stretch you because he loves you and he's inviting you into the depths of his love and the promised land awaits. There is a new beginning and a new way on offer today. It is new life and it's true life. Life away from the slavery of sin, out of the heartbreak of wilderness, into a promised life, a beautiful life, a grace-filled life, an eternal life. All it requires for you to do is take the next step. Yeshua means rescue. Joshua rescues and delivers. That's like a postman delivers God's people to the promised land. Jesus, the rescuer, rescues us and delivers us to God himself, to the Father. You ever seen a rescue happen? The reunification after which someone's taken out of a burning building or pulled out of a mine shaft. What happens? The rescued one runs to their loved ones. In perfect heavenly embrace. And the offer for you today is that you might be one of those rescued ones, that you would run to the Father who loves you in a perfect and heavenly embrace that God is inviting you in. So maybe you're in a wilderness of faith. You've been following Jesus for 30 years and you go, man, but I'm in the wilderness. I don't know anything about this anymore. Jesus is the bridge back to God. Jesus says, come on back, run. You're rescued. Maybe you've got personal circumstances or crises or traumas or trials that you're still working through. Run to the Father. That grace is on offer, that hope is on offer, and the promised land exists in this room as the person of Jesus if we'll simply take the next step. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer is that each and every one of us in our current wilderness would see the path that you've marked for us. We would run to you and nothing less that we would seek you out and nothing less that we would find satisfaction in you and nothing less. Father, for the hearts in this room that are far from you, maybe those who've never, never even said, I believe. Give my prayer for everyone in this room, but for them in particular, God, if someone in this room and someone watching online has said, I have never actually said that I believe in this Jesus, that I'm ready to follow. And I pray that today would be the day that they take the step, that they run to you, that they find hope and grace. Father, there's nothing like you. Call us home. Thank you for your rescue, for your son, for salvation. We lift his name up. We pray in the holy and saving name of Yeshua, the deliverer of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we worship together, my invitation is clear. Your invitation is to run back to God today. From the wilderness you're in, from the faith island that you feel like you're living on, from a place of unbelief or skepticism, this is your invitation to run to God, be found safe, 
once and for all. So during the course of the song, you could stand. I'm going to invite you to stand in a second. You might as well stand now. But you can sit, you can kneel, you can come use the front of the stage. If you need to take a physical step to represent the actual thing happening in your world, part of that is walking up to the front of the stage and kneeling here to just be with you and God. You can do that. You have freedom to sit, stand, kneel, shout, sing, pray, cry. Because you're being called home. From whatever the wilderness you're in right now, you're being called into a greater place. So today your opportunity is to run to God. Would you stand with us?